Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, I speak with Davey Anderson, the associate director of Anything That Gives Off Light, currently playing at Joe's Pub. This show was created by the Brooklyn-based company The Team in partnership with the National Theater of Scotland, which is where Davey comes in, which you will realize very quickly in the interview. The Team is a unique group of collaborative artists under the direction of founding artistic director Rachel Chavkin, currently directing Town on Broadway. In The Team, everybody shares in the creative process. Everyone who is involved in one of their pieces participates in the writing in one form or another, be it actually putting pen to paper or developing through long-form improv exercises. With anything that gives off light, not only did the team widen their circle of collaborators to include the National Theatre of Scotland, but they also brought in the married songwriting duo, The Bingsons, best known for creating and performing the award-winning show 100 Days, which you've heard me talk about recently on Today on Broadway. As you'll hear me say in my conversation with Davey, anything that gives off light has been described as a surrealist road trip story that spans both continents and centuries. It officially opened at the public this past Saturday and continues nightly, except for next Monday, through March 30th. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Davey Anderson. Well, I appreciate you taking time to do this. I'm sure the last few days has been a little hectic for you guys. It's been a little bit busy, yeah. I'm just I'm still on a high after our opening night on Saturday, which um, went really well. It's a lovely atmosphere. So we've been very busy just getting the show ready for opening at Joe's Pub. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, I, I want to talk about the show, but what I... Before I get there, I want to talk about the kind of the the route that has you know kind of gone through the last four or five years, or whatever, to get this show uh, to Joe's Pub. Starting off first, I think if anybody's listening uh, to this interview, uh, they can tell that you have a bit of an accent. So this <laughs> this this show is a kind of a, a co-production between the team, which is based in New York, and the National Theatre of Scotland, which is where you come from. How did this collaboration between these two very different companies on different parts of the world, how did that all come together in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, you found me out very early on. I am Scottish indeed, (laughs) yeah, as you can tell from my accent. Um, 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 It's a long journey that we've been on together as two different companies, um, I met with the members of the team um, in 2008, I think it was originally. Wow. And at that point, um, the team were bringing maybe their second or third show to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is one of the biggest um, performing arts festivals in the world in this tiny little city, beautiful city of Edinburgh. Um, And that year, I was working on a show called Black Watch, which was one of the early shows of the National Theatre of Scotland. Um, which went on to become a big hit and toured all over the States and all over the world. I um, was very lucky to be part of that production. Um, but that was, um, you know, even though it seems like it has a very grandiose title, the National Theatre of Scotland, <laughs> at that point it was a very young company. That was actually the very first year that we'd put on something um, and uh, kind of built into the, the kind of DNA of this uh, new National Theatre Company was this sense of collaboration and kind of reaching outwards to try and seek international partners um, and tell stories which could travel. Um, and I became fascinated with this, um, you know, young devising company from Brooklyn who had this kind of what felt like similar kind of philosophy about theatre making. 
um, and built into the, their DNA was a kind of radical experiment and collaboration and um, co-authorship. And so, yeah, we kind of we kind of hooked up, up. We kind of you know found that we're on the same wavelength. And um, as a company, the team were trying to explore American identity, American history. I was super fascinated by Scottish identity, Scottish history, um, and nationhood. And it seemed like a kind of natural experiment to try and hold up these two very different countries as a mirror to each other and see what we could learn. Um, so we began working on it in 2014, which was um, a significant year in recent Scottish political history because it was the year of the, the referendum on Scottish independence. Um, and so we presented a kind of early draft of our play, Anything That Gives Off Light, in the summer of 2014, just a month before the referendum, where there was this amazing atmosphere of um, uncertainty and, and possibilities. You know, was this was Scotland going to become a, a new nation state? Um, and what would that mean? And, and all the questions about, well, who exactly are we to have a nation state in the first place? So that was the kind of first part of it. And it's been on a big, big journey since then. Obviously, the 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 result of that referendum was no, Scotland wasn't going to become independent. Yeah. Um, which kind of brought with it for a lot of people who had been hopeful about the the, the possibilities of independence, a kind of crushing disappointment. Um, and following up soon after that was the referendum on European Union membership, um, which was a kind of UK-wide referendum. And the result was that we would withdraw from the European Union. Although we haven't yet done that, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's an ongoing process. Yeah. We can get into that in a bit as well. Um, and the, 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 the mood between the two moments in time, 2014 and 2016, were, were very, very different for me personally. One was a kind of hopeful time and one was a dark kind of time of like political pessimism. Um, and at the same time, something quite significant was happening in the United States as oh, well. Yeah. In terms we're well aware, of, well aware. <laughs> you know what was going on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what's so fascinating about hearing about this story, and I want to talk specifically about how these kind of two major international but very nationally specific events um, happening, how that relates to the story. But what a lot of what I've heard about uh, the show, and I'm seeing it uh, in, in, a, in a week or so, so much of this story is is kind of about the way that the characters perceive each other and how the Americans see uh, the Scottish people one way, and that might be different than the way that the Scottish people see themselves. So hearing you talk about how this was such a crushing thing um, when the referendum for independence did not succeed, how how does that kind of feeling, uh, how did that translate from the early version of the show into the way the story is being told now? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it, it translates in terms of these characters kind of embodying and having a, a point of view on what it means to be an underdog um, trying to strive for a goal and then whether you get it or not. And we kind of very early on started to compare just in, in kind of in the historical stories and in the fictional stories that we tell ourselves and each other from our national points of view that we do that very differently in Scotland compared to how you guys do it in the States. And in Scotland there does tend to be this kind of repeated narrative of like having a utopian longing for something and then it slipping through our fingers. So there's a line in the play which is that about, you know, just 
people in Scotland tend to dwell on the moments of defeat snatched from the jaws of victory, <laughs> which I think, unfortunately, has been a kind of national characteristic. Um, and that's definitely not the case, I think, in, in the States, where there is a, a strong kind of narrative emphasis on the little person um, struggling against all the odds and kind of finally triumphing in the end, certainly in Hollywood stories, you know, there's oh, yeah. a kind of happy ending, um, kind of a need for a happy ending um, and a need to believe politically that if you just strive hard enough, then you can reach your goals, um, which kind of has this kind of dark undercurrent of if you can't make it, then there's something wrong with you as an individual. Yeah, yeah. and I <laughs> um, guess that, that probably plays a, a even more, uh, has even more resonance when you're talking about something as, major as your national uh, independence obviously but the way that the nation is seen on the world stage too it probably even can be even more crushing when you consider that that way yeah yeah absolutely i think you know in some ways i feel like people in scotland have come to terms with the you know have long for a long time come to terms with the kind of reduced place in the world you know scotland is a very small place geographically in terms of population size um, which has kind of modest ambitions on the world stage. Um, but in the States, there's obviously it's a big country, it's still the superpower, but I don't think it has quite come to terms with its kind of dwindling status yeah. and the fact that you know, it's, it, has, it has to play a new role within world politics now um, in this new century. Um, but kind of interestingly, as a superpower, people within the United States still cast themselves as the, as the underdog, <laughs> which for us is like a central theme of the play of why do we have that tendency to do that? What does it mean if you're always, you know, number one, the goodie, and always the kind of the little person struggling against the big bad enemy? Well, and you you mentioned kind of these these themes coming into the play, and uh, I want to talk about specifically about what this show is because the way I've heard it described, and I'm going to quote this, is it's a surrealist road trip story. So there are. From what I understand, and I don't want to give too much away, so if I'm spoiling things, please feel free to tell me to stop. But there's a, a group of three people, two Scottish men, an American woman, meet in a pub. And from there, they kind of go through not only um, kind of a physical journey as into like location, but also through time and explore some different things in both um, Scottish history and then some things over in the States as well and through time both both personally and historically uh, for them without giving too much away am I is, is that a fair way to describe the plot of, of this very unique show? Yes absolutely I don't think you've given anything away there that we don't want people to know about in advance um, yes it's absolutely these three people that go on a wild you know hallucinatory road trip through Scotland <laughs> and through Appalachia yeah. And it starts with um, a character called Brian, who is in a pub in London, and he's waiting for his best friend to show up. And he, Brian is Scottish, and he's left home and moved to you know the bright lights of London and drifted away from his former friend, um, who's called Ian, who's still living in Glasgow, with Brian's um, gran. Um, and Brian is kind of become quite a different person in the time that he's been away and he's unsure about what this you know reunion with his with this old friend who kind of represents his old country um, is going to be like and whether they will have any common ground anymore and you know if it was just the, about the two of them you know it would be them meeting in a pub and trying to resolve their differences but in, into the mix comes this um, Appalachian woman uh, who is on a second honeymoon without her husband 
um, <laughs> and trying to flee from uh, her family situation um, and to figure out whether or not she's going to go back there and try to figure out where exactly she belongs. So on a whim has come to, to Scotland. I think a large part of that whim is to do with Outlander, actually. Um, so we have, she's a big Outlander fan. Of course. She's quite to see, you know, yeah. <laughs> as lots of people are, lots of Americans are. Um, and so her, her kind of vision of Scotland is kind of, uh, you know, informed by, by that television show. And so she brings these expectations of what she's going to find in Scotland with her from that show. Um, and, the, and the three of them, you know, end up getting in a car, which is a rented car that she has, has got for herself and going on this road trip north from London into, into the highlands of Scotland. And then, as you say, it becomes more surreal as they start to travel, you know, from the highlands of Scotland into the mountains of, of Appalachia to where um, this character of Red is from. And then they even go back in time as well, like they do in Outlander. They go back in time to the 1700s. Yeah. <laughs> and we see... Um, uh, yeah, Brian uh, leave his home behind and, and go to the, the American colonies. So there's, we kind of, you know, not just travel across the Atlantic Ocean, but we also kind of span a couple of centuries within the show. Talking about this road trip, you know, anyone who's been on a road trip, you know, you, you learn a lot about people when you're going on a trip with them, especially in a car like that. And when you're traveling through centuries and across continents, I'm sure that's uh, amplified as well. But <laughs> we, you, you talk so much about the, you know, the different perceptions that people have uh, about these two countries. And especially when you're talking about Appalachia, you know, that comes with its own connotations for Americans mm -hmm. as well. Even though there are differences between these people, not only how they see themselves and see each other, are there things that these characters, again, without giving too much away, learn about each other that there are actually similarities between who they are as people and where they come from? Absolutely, yeah. There are both vast differences and surprising similarities. Um, you know, in some ways, the characters couldn't be more different in terms of their worldview, in terms of their perspective on things, in terms of their life experience, it couldn't be more different. You know, we have, a, you know, a woman who has been born into a, a, a rural area where the kind of the one main employer is the coal industry, which is in decline and brings with it all its kind of economic and social problems when, when a, a main employer like that collapses or kind of shrinks. Um, and... We have, from you know, the Scottish point of view, someone who kind of grew up within the kind of trade union movement and mm. kind of tries to um, hold on to that kind of collectivist mindset of organising as a group, and then you've got this someone who's like working in real estate, who's like trying to climb the career ladder and and, and be wealthy and successful in a particular way. They all have, they're all very very different, but definitely there are overlaps as well in terms of. Um, I think it's kind of there embodied in the title. They're all people who are seeking some kind of light. They're desperately searching for anything <laughs> that gives off yeah, light. Yeah. You know, some some way of like uh, some illumination, some sense of uh, purpose and of of connection and uh, uh, making sense of of the world that they are in. And they they do kind of find that together as they go. And and about, I don't want to say too much about um, what they yeah, discover. Yeah as they go, but definitely culturally they discover there's a huge big overlap because we ourselves, in, in preparation for the play, have been going on road trips to the southern Appalachian states and the Scottish Islands, 
and the lowlands in particular of Scotland to, to learn more about the kind of migration that happened from Scotland and Northern Ireland to the Southern Appalachian region of the States. Um, and particularly, you know, the kind of religious and political, cultural values that kind of get carried over with the, that wave of migration. Um, and, you know, it's there in the music, it's there in the Presbyterian church, it's there in the kind of approach to democratic organising. Um, there's, it, it, in some ways, there's this, this central part of American cultural and political identity, you know, comes from that time when people came over from from lowland Scotland and planted these seeds of like ideas about self-reliance and um, and autonomy and, and kind of want to do things for yourself and build your own house with your own two hands. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a kind of cultural overlap that we discovered as well as the big you know, the extreme cultural yeah. differences. When I think that cultural overlap probably applies even more perfectly with Appalachia, which is obviously, you know, probably ingrained into why the character of Red is is from there. Um, you know, because like you said, you mentioned one of the things that, you know, relates between the two is is kind of the music. And this is, if people aren't familiar, it's a musical. There's music in it from the Bingsons, who I think a lot of New York audiences are familiar with from Hundred Days. If if you could describe this music, I think a lot of people think of the Bingsons as folk. And I think that that means one thing probably in West Virginia and probably a different thing um, in in Scotland. How does the music help tell the story? And is it changed depending on where and when they are? What? How does the music of the Bingsons fit into this show? Mm, yes, the music is central to the show. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And it's, you know, the, I, I get to say this because I didn't, had no hand in, in composing the music. <laughs> music is wonderful and the Bingsons have done just a fantastic job. You know, for anybody that doesn't know, they're this wonderful husband and wife duo, um, Sean and Abigail Bengtson. Um, and yeah, I suppose they, they cross genre musically. It's kind of, I'm imagine, thinking of it as like folk, uh, folk punk, you know. Yeah, that's like, a very good way, yeah. Uh, it's raucous, you know, in a way that you wouldn't expect folk music to be. Um, we have, you know, three fantastic musicians who are, who are, creating the music live on stage with our three actors who are kind of, they all look like one, a band of six who are singing these songs together. And lyrically, I think they've done a fantastic job of, we, we early on, we, you know, we, we spent some time in, in Virginia and West Virginia and Kentucky and Tennessee and interviewed lots of real people, um, farmers, teachers, students, environmental campaigners. And we, we transcribed all these interviews and we, we sent, um, and, and wrote down our impressions and sort of like fragments of images and um, feelings that we had when we were there and sent them to Sean and Abigail. And from that, you know, huge document of text, they kind of pulled out some some kind of poetic fragments and, and, and sculpted these beautiful song lyrics and, and, and kind of gave melody to them. And they, yeah, now, now they're a central part of the storytelling of the play. You know, each of the characters sings a song um, and it kind of gives us this access to their inner life that you can't get in any other way and just hits you on this kind of visceral level. It kind of gets you in the gut. Um, and sometimes they're deeply kind of, uh, you know, lively and kind of rowdy. Um, and sometimes they're really troubling and sad and, and, and tender. Um, and so it just kind of makes it this kind of fast epic with the music that um, it would be so much smaller without it, I think.
Yeah, and that's that's so interesting to hear the the process that went in to creating these songs, especially when kind of as you referenced earlier, the way the team works is that everybody is a writer. Um, they also a lot of them are performers as well, but in the creation of their pieces, everybody is tasked with writing in some form or another and to now have you guys going out and then looping in a songwriting team in that exact same way is really a great tribute to the way that the team and it sounds like when you were starting with the national theater of scotland the the ideals that you wanted to to imbue the these companies with i think that's really kind of poetic in its own right yeah absolutely it's both trying to find that perfect it's like that balance between you know wanting people to bring their own individual expression to the process and to the room and kind of contribute to the group brain. Um, Rachel often talks about, you know, your job as someone within a team rehearsal process is to be as inspiring as possible to your collaborators. Mm. And the only way to do that is to, you know, be deeply inspiring towards yourself, to try and be, to bring, to offer into the room what you genuinely are obsessed with. Um, and it just so happens we got lucky that Sean and Abigail are kind of obsessed with um, <laughs> that crossover and, and musical influences. You know, they've studied and, and the, the 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 journey of uh, you know songs and tunes from Scotland and other parts of the UK to America and, and how they've been transformed with and in a kind of cross cultural contact with other places. Um, and that that for us is part of it as well. I think as an audience member, you 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 as well as you know hopefully be moved and and by the by the lyrics and by the story that's been told. You also like kind of get this sense of uh, recognition of like um, Appalachian elements of the music and Scottish folk elements in the music and things that are more about American popular culture in the music too. Um, all of that's there and it kind of hits you on a subconscious level. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, I won't take too much of your time, but we have talked about this is a uh, a musical, it's a play, but it's being done at Joe's Pub, which I think most people consider, you know, they, they think of it as a cabaret venue. Um, so I, I know you've done it at different places. You've uh, kind of done it a couple times in the last few weeks uh, down in Virginia and Tennessee. Uh, how do you adapt a play that crosses not only centuries, but continents in an ocean and do it on that <laughs> tiny little stage at Joe's Pub with six people on stage between the actors and the band as well. I would imagine you mentioned Rachel Chavkin. She's off doing uh, Town. So I would imagine there was a, a quite a bit of reconfiguring once you got on that tiny little stage over at the public. Uh, that, that is a great question. Absolutely. Yeah. Our first um, venue on the tour was the Moss Art Center in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um which, if you don't have a mental picture of that, it's, you know, maybe 800-plus seats. It's a lot of seats. <laughs> um, it's a huge, big, wide, open stage. Um, and so we, you know, took our big set, and it was, um, you know, a, a kind of main house um, event there. And obviously we've had to shrink it down to become the pub version. <laughs> so the things that don't carry over, you know, we've, we've left the set behind, but we have brought the kind of the essence of the storytelling um, and it's really now much more cabaret style. It's a it's a it's a piece of performative storytelling. It's about those you get to be up close and personal with those performers, which I think is wonderful. You can really kind of feel <laughs> the breath and see the whites of their eyes, um, and they they come in amongst you as well. You're within kind of you know you can feel the breath of the performers in Joe's pub space. 
Um, and it's just a kind of wonderful, relaxing place to experience a story as well. You can have a couple of drinks. It's very comfortable. You can eat some food. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it kind of it feels like you're going to a music gig and it has that kind of gig uh, atmosphere yeah. when you walk into the room. Um, and that, that feels... It, when we went in there, we were like, oh, how are we going to take this thing from a big stage onto a small stage? But it actually felt like coming home, like it was the pub version of the show as it's, as it's natural home. Yeah, well, especially because, like you said, the 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 three characters originally meet in a pub, so it does feel almost site specific uh, and and immersive rather than uh, you know kind of changing the essence of it. It almost feels like it's uh, going back to where it originally belonged in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. There's no need to kind of create a, a false pub on stage when <laughs> the room that we're actually in is a pub. So it's kind of perfect for where the story takes place. Um, and there's a kind of lovely moment where Maya Sharp, who's one of our musicians who plays banjo and fiddle and guitar, you know, introduces us to the setting <laughs> and says, so, you know, you have to work really hard, use your imagination and imagine that we're in a pub. <laughs> and it kind of gets a chuckle from the audience because you know, there's not a huge leap of the imagination that has to go on there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have information for anything that gives off light at Joe's Pub in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. You can also find Davey Anderson's social media info there as well. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks to Lauren Alexander, Joe Suroff, Sarah Sgro, and the man without whom none of Broadway Radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember, driving down the road, I get a feeling that I should have been home yesterday. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more. Mama gives you water. Tell us about America, Red. And you drink it up. Stare down into your empty cup. Fill it up. Feel it soon. This place is as strange to us as it is to you. Man, we're out of pass, a funny hang here. You tell your mama you're thirsty. But look around. You've got so much plenty, you're about to drown. Yeah. And you can make a deal if you still want more. Better get your soul ready to go off to war. Is a Scottish hero a winner or not? Depends where you put the end on. And the devil don't have to jump far to find you. And the devil I could go don't home. have to look far. I keep leaving. <laughs>